be in Acts chapter number 5 this morning, and we began on this chapter last week. While you're finding your place here, let's go ahead and we'll go to the Lord in prayer, ask His blessings on the services today. Dear Lord, we come to you today. Thank you for your blessings. We thank you for this day that you've given us, Lord. We thank you for those who have made their way out today, Lord, and we just ask you that you would meet with us here today. I pray that you would guide and direct me, Lord, in the the things that we're we're looking at, Lord, the things we're studying. I just pray, help me to uh, remember the things that we've studied, Lord, and I just pray, ask you that you would uh, make this service a, a blessing and encouragement to those who are here. Pray, Lord, you draw folks closer to you, Lord, help us and increase in our uh, faith and our knowledge, Lord, and we just pray that you be with those who are still on their way out, Lord, the ones who aren't able to make it today, Lord, I pray you'd watch over them and help them as well, and Lord, I just pray you be with the, uh, just all that we've got going on today, Lord, I thank you for uh, being so good to us, Lord, thank you most of all, Lord, for Jesus Christ, for the plan of salvation, Lord, that we are able to be forgiven, that we are able to be secured, and that we have heaven to look forward to, we praise you for that, and Lord, all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so in the book of Acts, we've been going through and following the beginning of the church, the early church there, and seeing them getting uh, getting off the ground, if you will. And so it started with just a handful in the upper room. The Holy Spirit came on the uh, the day of Pentecost. They began. Uh, I said that Peter. I think that he stood out there on that day of Pentecost and just had planned to give an explanation, and instead the Holy Spirit took over. He preached a sermon, and thousands of people got saved. And it says they were added to the church daily, such as should be saved. And there was a movement that began there in Jerusalem almost 2,000 years ago. And honestly, it began long before that. The Lord had that in his plans and his purposes uh, before man ever knew anything of it. But anyway, as the church began to grow... Uh, it began to increase in influence, but it also uh, was picking up enemies along the way and picking up opponents. Of course, the ones who crucified Jesus wasn't too happy about the preaching of the gospel, uh, preaching of the resurrection by the apostles. And so we saw over the past couple weeks that it began with uh, opposition from without, that uh, there was conflict that was taking place from without. And these uh, Jewish leaders were bringing, uh, bringing persecution against the church. They were making commands that these people uh, cease to talk about Jesus, uh, to cease talking about the resurrection, uh, to stop uh, hanging the blame on the Jewish leaders for crucifying the Savior. And uh, those things were offensive to them. It made them look bad, right? And so anyway, we saw a couple weeks ago with that external conflict that the early believers said, we're going to obey God and not men. We're going to obey men as long as it's in, uh, in agreement with the things of God. But whenever uh, they put us at odds between a, a man and God, between one authority and the other, we're going to choose to follow God no matter what. We're going to trust him to take care of us. And we're going to uh, go forward trusting that whatever befalls us from that point that God is working those things together for his good and for ours and for his purposes. And it doesn't mean they're going to be delivered from every difficulty that comes along. There were times that they were beaten. We're going to read about that later on today. There were times that they were beaten, they were imprisoned, and many of them, uh, especially of the apostles, were martyred for their faith. And 
they were taking a stand. They were obeying God rather than men. And that's what it led to. And so we, we've looked at this, and I've, I've pointed out several times that uh, some of these uh, false gospels today, the prosperity gospels, and some of these religious movements that try to portray Christianity as uh, a way to avoid difficulties and hardships in our life, uh, that's not in sync with the scriptures. That does not uh, agree with what the Bible teaches us. And it's not, uh, even with all of uh, uh, church history as well, we can see that's not been the uh, experience of the church down through the ages that Christianity allowed them to escape difficulties. And so there was conflict from without that was trying to silence their witness, trying to silence the church. But then last week, what we looked at, there was conflict coming from within. There's conflict coming from within. There was fear. There was doubt. There was a lot of concern and confusion because they started following Jesus, and now there's trouble, and they hadn't uh, anticipated that. They didn't know that uh, with Jesus' cross, they were going to bear a cross, right? And so anyway, uh, there was doubts. There was this uh, temptation for them to uh, remain silent. There was a temptation for them to uh, recant their testimony. There was a temptation for them to become what you could call an undercover Christian, right? Say, well, if we just don't make them mad, we will try to straddle the fence. We'll attempt to appease them. We're going to try to make things go okay in our favor. We'll try to uh, uh, not offend these other guys out here that are offended at the very name of Jesus, right? There's a temptation to do that. But they decided instead, they went to the Lord and they, uh, they sought for boldness. They sought for boldness. They wanted boldness to be able to proclaim the truth of God's word, uh, even in spite of this conflict that was coming from without and from within. And God gave them boldness to preach the things of God. Uh, remember I, I said they didn't seek deliverance. They didn't seek vengeance. They didn't seek all these other things that we would seek, but instead they said, help us just to remain faithful to the calling that God has put on us. And I think that should be our our prayer as well. Uh, a lot of times we say, God, fix this or get me out of this instead of God, grow me and glorify yourself through this, right? And so anyway, uh, God gave them this boldness. And since Satan could not, uh, could not quiet them because of conflict from without and within, uh, he calls there to be uh, some uh, corruption setting in. And the Bible tells us that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And we had the story of Ananias and Sapphira. And we're familiar with them, aren't we? Ananias and Sapphira. And they made a plan. The two of them uh, hatched a plan together and said the, the church is growing. There is power and influence in the church. And if we can use this, if we can leverage this in our favor, if we can take the things of God and use it to bolster our place in society, if we can use it to advance our position, then, hey, why not? And so they sold a possession, a piece of land, and they gave a portion of the price to the early church, to the believers, for distribution, for the care of the saints and things. And that was a noble gesture if they had been honest about it, right? You notice how this is subtle, just it looks good on the outside. No one's going to know about it. 
Everyone is going to be so pleased by what we're doing. We can feel good about it because this is benefiting others. We have made a sacrifice, but their motives ended up messing everything up, right? Mm -hmm. And so anyway, with Ananias and Sapphira, as we looked at them, uh, they sold a portion of land. They gave uh, part of the price. They claimed that they gave the entirety of the price. And Peter uh, confronts them about this, and he says, well, it was in your hand. It was under your power to do with it whatever you wanted to. If they would have just come and said, we, we sold this land and we gave part of the price to the church, everything is well and good. Even if it was we gave most or however, or if they said we would like to give some, but we're not willing to get rid of our, we're not quite to that place yet. We don't uh, think we're quite, we have that much faith that we can sell off our stuff and donate it. And so we'll make a small contribution. That would have been fine. If they didn't give anything, that would have been fine, right? Mm -hmm. And so he said it was under your power. You could have kept your land. You could have kept your money. You could have sold your land and given it all. You could have sold your land and given 50 cents. It doesn't matter, right? But the problem was their motives, their heart in the matter, and the statements that they made, they lied not only to men, but into the Holy Spirit, it tells us. Because they thought no one is going to know besides us, right? And how often in our own minds do we think that way? No one's going to know. Many times, right? I've said before, I'm glad that nobody else can listen into the thoughts inside my head. That's like, uh, I can remember I was I was young and you, you know, little boys talking about superpowers and stuff, uh, x-ray vision and super strength and the ability to fly. And there was the idea going around of reading minds. And that terrifies me because I know the things that go on inside of my head. And if I was able to tune in and figure out what was going on inside of your head, if you're anywhere near as messed up, messed up as what I am, I mean, it would be, I'd be probably running for the hills and isolating myself because just my own thoughts would drive me crazy, let alone all of yours, right? Everybody on board with me on this? Or you're like, oh, no, I have no idea what you're thinking. My thought life is grand. <laughs> no, 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 no. So anyway, they said, no one knows besides us. And so we can get by with this. And everyone's going to be patting us on the back. Everybody's going to be telling us what great and godly believers that we are. And we're going to be elevated in the sight of everyone else. And whenever this happens and they come before Peter and they say, hey, we gave the entire price to you, the Holy Spirit gives Peter insight and says, no, they didn't. Because even though no one else knew about this, the Holy Spirit did. The Holy Spirit did. And so the Holy Spirit strikes them dead at that moment. And what we were looking at last week, and I know we're going in quite a bit of review, but we're laying groundwork for, the, or groundwork for this week. And so anyway, the Holy Spirit strikes them down at that moment. And we said last week that this isn't a normal thing because there would be a lot of dead people if the Holy Spirit struck down people dead every time they lied to the Holy Spirit, right? Every time they did something dishonest, every time that uh, they tried to use the name of God or his church in order to elevate themselves, if God struck people dead every time that happened, there would be a lot of dead people, right? Yes. And so why was it that the Holy Spirit did it at that time? 
It's the first thing you said there is uh, it's talking about the the birth of the church, the infancy of the church. Okay, and they had the Holy Spirit was giving them power. They prayed, they sought power from God in order that they may proclaim the works of God. But we find that the Holy Spirit's power uh, does not necessarily uh, hang around where there is perversion going on, where there's corruption going on, right? And so there is a thought in this, and this is one of the things I'm going to get to today, about the, the importance of purity and the effect that it has on the Holy Spirit and upon the church's uh, effectiveness, right? And over time, it seems that we have, uh, for lack of better words, we've dumbed it down a little bit. We have made it as if uh, purity and holiness isn't as big of a deal as what God's Word makes it to be. And so with the book of Acts, as we're seeing here, under the birth of the church, the first steps, if you will, as it's just getting started in its infancy, as this, uh, uh, this sinfulness, this corruption is an injected to it by Satan, I believe, in order to corrupt it, that it needs to be purified, it needs to be purged immediately, or it could cause it all to fail right then, Right. There's plenty of corruption that's in churches today, and God doesn't deal with them in the same way as he did there because of the the difference between then and now. I said that Acts is a transitional book, following the, the growth of the church, following the work of the Holy Spirit in this world, following the way that the gospel is spread and things. And so back to the, the original question I asked, 
is why did the Holy Spirit choose at that time to deal with it in that way whenever he doesn't in every case? And the reason why, I believe, is that God was doing something there and Satan was trying to corrupt it. He was trying to cut it off in the very beginning. Because the easiest way to get something, or the maybe I shouldn't say the easiest way, the best time to stop something is right after it starts. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Before it takes root. And it's that way, good and bad. For a good habit, if you are starting a good habit, uh, just for the sake of what's most familiar to me because of what I'm surrounded with, uh, you start a diet. Okay? The time that you are most likely to go off of that is whenever you just first began. Right? And so if you get knocked off course early on, then that's the easiest time to knock you off course, right? For the alcoholic that's trying to overcome the drink, he is at mo- he's at his weakest right whenever he is beginning that journey, right? So that's that's good, like a good progress that you're trying to make. And there's plenty of things that's going to try to knock you off. Now, to put it a little bit more spiritually here, if the devil can uh, discourage the newly saved individual and knock them off track at the beginning of their walk with God, they're much more susceptible whenever they have just gotten saved than when they've been saved for years. That's fair enough, isn't it? I know uh, back in the area that I'm from, it was like whenever news traveled around that someone in the area had gotten saved, every Coltonism would come and knock on their door right afterward, trying to draw them into it. You know, you'd have the JWs knocking on their door the week after they got saved, like, oh, they're interested in the things of God. This is the best time to pervert it, right? And so that's the way that Satan was working here. He's like, okay, God is doing something. This is getting taken taken off right now. If we can't discourage them, if we can't defeat them, then we're going to corrupt them. And I pointed out last week that Achan, uh, whenever they came into Jericho, he took the wedge of gold and God smote them, right? He had them uh, cut down very early on. And that way the people would take notice of God's, uh, God's feelings toward these matters, right? And so there is a, an importance of purity in the life of the believer and in the church. And so I know I've already uh, talked for a good while, but let's look at Acts chapter number 5. And we've already covered the first 11 verses there with uh, Ananias and Sapphira. But let's look at verse number 12. It says, And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people, and they were, uh, they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And of the rest durst no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them, and believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes both of men and women, insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at the least the shadow of Peter passing might overshadow some of them. And there came also a multitude out of the cities round about unto Jerusalem, bringing sick folk and and them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed every one. And so we'll stop there for just right now. But we see the, uh, the effect of the purified, the cleansed, the purged church, right? And so as this happened, as the Lord dealt with it summarily, very first, very early on, very swiftly, uh, people took notice, both those within and those without, right? 
It says here that uh, verse 13, of the rest, durst no man join himself unto them, but the people magnified them. So those who were without, those who weren't part of the church, magnified them, okay? They said those people over there, there's something about them. They know God. They've got power, right? They were magnifying them, but it says that they durst no man join himself to them. Now, it doesn't mean that everybody's keeping their distance. Everybody's afraid. Everybody's staying away because if you look at verse number 14, it says, and believers were the more added to the Lord. So there is a group that didn't dare come near them, but then there were multitudes of people who were coming near them. And so there was a, uh, a dividing here that had taken place. This had warned all the pretenders, right? This was keeping away the fakes and the phonies because on the, the outset of this, with this idea of Satan corrupting God's church, that if there could be a bunch of fakes and phonies just riding the coattails, just trying to come in and get a little bit of the, the positive effects from this, uh, we could compare it to kind of like Judas. Judas came in following Jesus. He had impure motives, we know, and he was hoping to advance himself through Jesus's ministry, right? Do you think that there wasn't plenty more people like Judas in the first century church that was trying to come around and trying to join themselves up because they saw a movement growing? This was exploding. It was taking off. There were uh, tens and hundreds and thousands of people joining itself, and they said, we want to get on or in on this, but they did it with impure motives. And after this with Ananias and Sapphira, they said, hold on, we might want to think twice about this. Because their God means business. If we go and our motives are impure, if we don't really believe, but we're just trying to take advantage of God and of the church, then the same thing may befall us that happened to Ananias and Sapphira, right? But of those who were genuine, they ran to it and said, this is a holy God. This is a God who isn't messing around because they had seen religion messed around enough, right? You look at the first century uh, Jewish religion, the state of Judaism in the first century, and people were looking at the wickedness and the corruption that was taking place within the Jewish faith, and they were sick of it. But whenever God dealt with this in the early church, they said, okay, this is great. This is something where they're actually paying attention to the things of God. They are actually practicing what they preach they actually have the power of God on them. And so the ones who were genuine were running to it. The ones who were fake were running away from it, right? Mm -hmm. And so bringing this and applying it to us today, there is a necessity for purity within the house of God. There's the idea that's going around today in uh, a lot of the uh, ec more ecumenical type churches and whatnot of don't pay any attention to doctrine, don't pay any attention to what the Bible says. We'll just welcome everybody in. We'll treat everybody, uh, you know, as if everything's okay. We'll put up with sin. It doesn't matter if you do things that the Bible calls an abomination. You're welcome to come in and join up with us, and there's no problem with it. But whenever you allow sin to, to be taking root within the church, and you turn a blind eye to it, or you celebrate your inclusivity, right, your diversity, all these different things, when you celebrate these things, you're celebrating sin, you're bringing in corruption, you're driving out the holiness, and you are losing any kind of power of God or power with men, 
right? And so to, to make this a little bit more plain, a little bit more clear, you look in through the book of uh, 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is written to a very carnal church. They were celebrating that they were so open-minded, they were welcoming sin in. One of the sins they take, uh, uh, take on as Paul's writing to them, one of the sins that he takes on is the fact that there was uh, a man who was living with his stepmother. That's, that's pretty messed up, right? And everyone was celebrating and saying, hey, look at how loving and how forgiving we are. We're just bringing them right on in and we're not paying any attention to their sin. And Paul rebukes them, right? Tells them, put him out. We find that whenever it came time to observing the Lord's Supper, that they were coming in and being drunken and they were uh, mistreating those who were uh, poor amongst them and the ones who didn't have amongst them. And they were allowing this uh, very wicked and arrogant and prideful and carnal mindset amongst them. And Paul begins to warn them and say, you are losing out on the power and presence of God by putting up with all of this junk in the midst, right? And so with this that we find here, Ananias and Sapphira is an example for us. It is, uh, maybe I could even say a warning for us that whenever we don't take sin seriously, we are going to sacrifice much because God does take it seriously. And I'm not even just talking about within the context of the church, but also in our individual lives. Whenever we allow sin to creep in, as subtle as it may be, it may seem small. That's what... Um, uh, Ananias and Sapphira would have thought, right? But whenever we allow sin to creep into our lives, what we're going to end up doing is we're going to sacrifice the power of God. We're going to uh, bring ourselves outside of the plan of God. And we are also going to be devoid of the presence of God in our lives, right? I'm not saying you lose your salvation, but whenever you decide to go down that divergent road, whenever you decide to allow the things which God hates, Whenever you start allowing the things that God says is not good for you, then whenever that happens, God is going to say, okay, if that's the way you want to live, go ahead and live that way, but I can't get along with that. I can't put my approval on that. I can't bless that while you're living in those types of sin. And so we make sacrifices as Christians, and we sacrifice the presence of God and the power of God for our petty sins, right? And so we see this in the Bible and see how seriously God takes it. And we can kind of just smile at it and say, well, it's not so bad. We look at that in multiple different times that the things that we see as great judgments of God were on things that we would see as being small and insignificant today. You understand what I mean? Yeah. Adam and Eve. She ate a fruit. Woohoo. Plunged all mankind into sin. So we look at sin differently than what God does, right? Because God sees the heart of the matter. He sees the root of it. He sees what it leads to, what it's going to cause. Why does God uh, bring out and tell us what sin is? Why does he keep it off limits? Why is there uh, commandments that say thou shalt not? Because it is destructive and disruptive and it is hurtful. And God says, don't do it. If you want to walk with me, if you want to see my will done in your life, if you want to take part of my purpose and be a witness in this world and see the blessings of God in your life, 
then there are certain things that you're going to have to steer clear of. You're going to have to hate these things the way that God hates them, right? And so as we look at the early church here, there was great power amongst them. There was great things happening. There were many people that were getting saved. They were leaving an impression on the world that was around them. The lost were either, well, they were brought to the place where they had to choose. If they believed, they joined themselves. If they were kind of both ways about it, if they were undecided or decided against, they put some distance between themselves and the church because they said that is a holy place, that is a holy people, right? And so there is a need for us to elevate purity in our own lives, for us to desire to uh, put sin forth out of our lives, for us not to, to try to, to make it smaller than what it is, to downplay, that may be the word I'm looking for, to downplay sin in our lives, right? But instead of seeing it as exceeding sinful, hating even the garment spotted, with the filth of this world, right? And so if we would see things that way and purge those things out from us, then we would see the power of God in our lives as individuals whenever it comes to the church. That's one of the reasons why I believe that uh, uh, as a Baptist, we have saved, baptized church membership, right? You get into some of the other denominations and religions, they baptize them as a baby, they put them on the roll, they say they're a member of the church, a part of the church, right? And then most of the people within the churches are unsaved and living however, and guess what? Why does the churches not have any power? Why, why is it that they're not seeing anything happening from God? It's because of most of the people within the church not even being saved, and the ones that are saved not living for the things of God, right? There's no difference. There's no separation there that takes place. And so there is an importance there that we have a purity if we are going to see the purposes of God going out in, our, in this world and in our lives, if we're going to see the power of God working in our lives, we need to have a purity about us. Everybody see that here? Mm-hmm. And I know it's tempting for us to say, oh, no, 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 it's okay. Everybody's doing this. Everybody's doing that. I don't think the Bible, the Bible says it. The Bible tells us that we need to, uh, the Bible still says, uh, be holy for I am holy, right? And so we are going to sacrifice God's power and his plans and his presence whenever we decide to play around in sin. It's simple as that. And so whenever we look at this here, they have, uh, in these few verses that we read, they have great power amongst the people. But uh, does anyone have any comments on what we've looked at so far? Because I want to jump to a new topic. Any comments or questions? I, I, I think that the uniqueness of Ananias and Sapphira as well is mm-hmm. also that when God makes a promise and he says, I, I will build my church and the gates of hell is not going to prevail against it. And mm-hmm. there's a man and he sticks his head in between and says, well, you know what, I can bring you better whatever mm-hmm. lies of the seat in here. And that thought. How can I say it almost prevented God's church from yeah. going ahead in a way? Yeah. I'm not saying it would have. I'm just saying that man sticks himself in between, and God says, "Okay, I'll just get you out of the way." 
Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm not. You know, like God says, go down. I will um, subdue you. Know, you. You will receive power from on high. Mm-hmm. You know, these guys then came in and said, "Well, you know what? Don't worry about that. We will some bit of land. We'll lie about it. Blah blah blah." Mm-hmm. God says, "It's not going to happen." Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So yeah, it demonstrated his power and our ability to get in his way, like you said. Yeah, definitely. No, but I mean, if, if God said this is what's going to happen, you know what I mean, and he makes a promise, man cannot stand against it. You know what I mean? And this would have been one of the events that would have gotten in the way. And, and, and that's what I'm saying. Like, you you said, what was the difference between any other sin that, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, anyone eat, eating an apple right now, that's not a sin. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But because she ate, um, Eve ate an apple in the beginning, that was, you know what I mean? Yeah. A sin. Like because God said not to. the same with Ananias and Sapphira. Mm-hmm. They put themselves in the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, yeah, if, if God wouldn't have intervened as he did, that bit of corruption would have taken place and it would have made God a liar. Exactly. Because it would have short-circuited what God was doing uh, uh, and it would have allowed that little bit of leaven to leaven the whole lump. And within a very short amount of time, without the power and presence of God, the church would have fizzled. It would have been done. Right? And as you said, the gates of hell is not going to prevail against it. God has promised he's going to build his church. And so he says, okay, this is going to stop my plan. This is going to stop my purpose. So I'm going to take care of it. So if we want to apply it in a different way, we can also look at it and be encouraged. If God is working out a purpose in our lives and we are serving him and we are living for him and we are seeking to glorify him, there is nothing that's going to stand in the way of him working out that purpose, right? God is able, even if he has to strike someone dead, right? Yeah. To make his plans work together for good, for his glory. He can do that. Now, if if we take the verse, we like to quote Romans eighteen or eight twenty eight. All things work together for good for them who love God, those who are called according to His purpose. All things didn't work together for good for Ananias and Sapphira, no. because they were going against His purpose. They were going against His plan, and so the things didn't work together for their good. But God worked their situation together for our good because he kept the church going and growing so that we are here today believing on the things which has been preached and proclaimed at that time. It's still going today because God purged that at that time. Right? So, yeah, good thoughts. Anything else? I was just going through the verses in chapter 4 and 2 to the end. The verses that precedes Chapter 5. Yes. What's happening? It's tagged in my own Bible the, the story in the NLT mm-hmm. because of the fellowship of the church. Mm-hmm. And then God told me, they say, Are all the believers were united in hearts and mind. Mm-hmm. And they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. The mm-hmm. apostles testified powerfully in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Mm-hmm. And God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them, because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to their house to give to those in need. Mm-hmm. For instance, there was Joseph, the one 
the apostle nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He stole the feet he owned and brought the money to the apostle. Mm -hmm. So, Ananias and Sapphira mm -hmm. saw what Barnabas did mm -hmm. and they wanted to belong. Mm -hmm. They wanted to do what he also did. Mm -hmm. But they fell out of tune. They didn't know how did Ananias do it. What, what prompted Ananias to do it? Mm -hmm. It was prompted first mm -hmm. by the fellowship of the house of God, mm -hmm. led by the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. Not by the power of, of Ananias, mm -hmm. but by the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. Or rather, by the Holy Spirit person, like I said earlier on. Mm -hmm. But Ananias and Sapphira, they gave in to their own selfishness. Mm -hmm. You sold the person of life, and you kept part of the money home. Mm -hmm. And you brought part of it and declared at least all <coughs> the person of the land was sold. Mm -hmm. That was never the If nobody compared you with the first place, mm -hmm. if you had kept XYZ and not at home, yeah. and you declared this as one so nobody would have questioned you. Mm -hmm. But you pretend as if this is yeah. all the person of the land. Yeah. Well, Trust God in the right. spirit, you are struck down. So what I'm trying to say is that the the spirit that led Barnabas to do it is Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And not until we comprehend the Holy Spirit presence, even in the church of today, mm -hmm. same thing keeps happening. Mm -hmm. God may not strike dead mm -hmm. who lies in the church of today. You may not strike there the person that brought filthy money, mm -hmm. money from gambling or money from stealing or robbery or drug mm -hmm. sale to the church. Mm -hmm. may not, but then your conscience, your conscience will pick you. Mm -hmm. Your conscience will judge you. What from conscience is Holy Spirit? Mm -hmm. Praise the Lord. Yeah. So yeah, going back and looking in the end of verse number four, the context of it, we see that was an outflowing of the, the fruit of the Spirit. Yeah. Because they did, whenever they came together, there was a generosity, there was a love for one another. That was being manifested in their midst. Tying it back to what Kev said there a minute ago, whenever Ananias and Sapphira came in, uh, these were the fruits of the flesh. It was uh, pride, it was greed, it was envy. All of these things were coming in, and rather than being moved by the Spirit and the fruits of the Spirit, they were moved by the flesh and the fruits of the flesh. And those two were at odds once one against the other, and so, yeah, God purged that out. And uh, he was making it clear that our heart, our motives do matter to God, right? Why we're doing things. Because with Barnabas and the others that were uh, participating in this, the, you know, these generous acts, they weren't moved wanting uh, uh, recognition or anything like that. But instead, it was generosity coming from God for their love for one another, for their love for God. It wasn't commanded. It wasn't anything that was uh, even suggested by the disciples. But instead, they said, hey, we have this way that we can be a blessing to others. And Ananias and Sapphira says, hey, this is a way we can be a blessing to ourselves. And that's a, a great comparison for us. Uh, or maybe I shouldn't say comparison. It's a great, uh, it's a great lesson. It's a great uh, criteria for us to judge by in our own lives of which way are we lining up with? What what are we attempting to do? Are we attempting to benefit others and glorify God, or are we attempting to benefit ourselves and glorify ourselves? 
what is our motive behind this? What are we doing here? Is this, is this uh, uh, brought about by the flesh and the devil? Is this brought about by God and his Holy Spirit? Is this brought about by our love for God? Because we can do things that appear to be good. We can do them in the wrong way and for the wrong reasons, right? And that's why the Bible tells us that even our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Because if, if you look at Ananias and Sapphira's story told a different way, God is the villain, right? Because Ananias and Sapphira, they came and they were generous. Look, they sold their land. They didn't have to. They gave part of it to the church. God bless them for it, right? But instead he struck them down. Why did they do that? How dare God do that to his people? Look at what they were doing. They were doing something good for corrupt reasons, right? And so we are quick to judge on outward appearances. And I don't want to get ahead of myself, but we're quick to judge on outward appearances. But God is looking down on the heart. God is determining from the heart. And that is more important than the outward actions. Because you can do wonderful works. You can... Uh, be out and be one of the greatest philanthropists in the world and you can do it for the wrong reasons and you, your heart be just as corrupt as the devil's. Yeah. And so it's not a matter of what we do so much as why we do it. If we get the why right, the what becomes right as well. And so we see that going on in this passage. And so then we see as a result of this, they have great power and the Holy Spirit is working in their midst and doing great works in their midst. And the last thing that I want to look at here uh, today, just for the sake of time, is a lot of people will dive onto these, just these few verses that we read today about the miracles and the signs and the wonders that were being done there and saying, okay, the reason why we're not seeing miracles and signs and wonders today is because of a lack of holiness. You ever hear that? Okay, and in a way it would appear to be so, but I want to dig just a little bit deeper and look at the purpose behind the signs and the wonders and the miracles that were going on, okay? One of the reasons is if you can put yourself back in this passage, if you can just kind of drop yourself off in first century Jerusalem, the church is growing, things are going on, and you hear that God strikes two of their members dead, all right? You're going to be fearful. You're going to keep your distance a little bit, right? You're going to be questioning God just a little bit, right? It would be almost, okay, just to, to draw a comparison here, uh, whenever the children of Israel came out of Egypt and they continued to sin against God, and God told Moses, I'm going to wipe them out and I'm going to start over with you and your family. Y'all remember that passage? And Moses intercedes on their behalf and what is one of his petitions to God? What is one of the reasons why he says, God, don't wipe them out? You want to remember? Because the other nation Okay. So the testimony of God amongst the nations. Moses says, God, if you wipe out your people, then all of the nations around us that have watched all of your mighty acts and all of the things that you have done are going to say that you brought them out and you killed them because you weren't able to follow through with your promises. That you weren't powerful enough, you weren't good enough, and so you wiped them out. And so then that is going to come back and look bad on the name of God, right? 
and it's going to cause there to be an issue with God's plans and his program that he had at that time. And so with Ananias and Sapphira, whenever they are uh, wiped out here, the Holy Spirit, whenever they are purged from the sin is purged, leaven is purged from the lump, then the Holy Spirit manifests himself through the apostles to show that God is working through them and that God is doing something there so that people will take notice, so that people will listen, and so that God will be glorified, right? And so this has been a little bit of a, a course correction, if you will, okay? Because Jesus was doing great works, healing people, love, compassion, mercy, the disciples, healing people, doing good works, doing miracles, love, compassion, mercy, strike two dead. That would have been something that would have caught people's attention. And have you ever noticed that the bad news always gets a lot more press than the good news? And so the Holy Spirit is uh, being poured out upon his apostles to validate them and to show what God is doing and who God is and who his character is. Uh, people still have a problem with uh, bringing together the idea of God's love and mercy with God's justice and his righteousness, right? Those are all attributes of God. And they have trouble putting those together. But God can't be a loving and a merciful God unless he is a just and a holy God. He can't be a just and a holy God unless he is also loving and merciful. These all go together. They're comprehensive, but we, we make a dichotomy of it. We split them apart and we make them as if they, they don't go together. And so if God is to be loving and merciful for his people, he is also going to have to deal with sin. And we can even look at some of the what we would see as atrocities in the Old Testament. And some of the times that God brings judgment upon his people or even uh, the lost amongst, you look at Noah, the story of Noah, and people will say, how cruel is that, that God would wipe out everyone except for one family? God just flood the entire world, kill everyone. But what does it say the state of the world was at that time? It said the thought of men was only wicked continually. Every thought of the hearts of men was only wicked continually. Is there any way for that to go but down? Noah was like the last hope. He was like the last little bit, the last twinkle, if you will, of any kind of uh, holiness or godliness that was on the earth at that time. And God says, if I don't wipe them out, then the world is going to go into full corruption and everyone is going to be subject to my eternal judgment. There's going to be no hope for the world. Going back to what Kev said earlier, uh, God had already said there was a plan that through the seed of the woman that all nations of the earth would be blessed, that salvation would come, right? And if God didn't deal in judgment at that time, there wouldn't be space for his mercy and for his love later on. And so it's hard for us to wrap our brains around the idea that sometimes the most loving and merciful thing God can do is to bring about judgment. Basically, at that time, the world was a lost cause, and so God was bringing something about to bring greater glory and greater grace to us today, right? 
Good morning. And so God was doing a great work through all of those things, and it's hard for us to reconcile those ideas in our mind, but we see them clearly played out in Scripture. And so this judgment that he unleashed on Ananias and Sapphira brought about great blessings and benefits for them back then and great lessons for us today, right? And so we're talking about here these miracles and these signs and wonders that God is bringing about through his people and the purposes behind it. Um, There are those that today say that they work signs and wonders and miracles, right? There are churches today that dabble in this and they focus, their focus and their attention are on the miracles and the signs and the wonders. Was the signs, the wonders, the miracles ever supposed to be the focus? The Holy Spirit said, uh, or the, the, the apostle said, the Holy Spirit always points to Jesus, right? Jesus says, the Holy Spirit bears record of me. Nowhere in the scripture do we find the Holy Spirit drawing attention to himself or the works of the Holy Spirit being the ends rather than a mean. And so there was always a purpose, there was always a mission behind any of the signs and wonders that were being poured out that we see in Scripture. And if you would look at any of the movements that exist in this world today, uh, maybe that maybe that's not fair for me to, to lump them all together and say all of them, but it, I, I think it is, okay? That these ones that are proclaiming these great healing crusades and the signs and the wonders and the miracles that they're working, do they ever align with the pattern that we see in Scripture? Think through it. Do they ever? And so as we look at this passage, it says, uh, just for instance, the end of verse number 16, and they were healed every one. No one was denied. No one came before them. There was no case that was too difficult. There was no one who didn't have enough faith. Isn't that one of the excuses they use today? I wasn't able to heal them because they didn't have enough faith. There, that wasn't a criteria. They were healed every one, right? They were healed instantly, completely, permanently, right? And so that was the signs and the wonders. That was how they were doing. But the purpose behind those signs and wonders were to authenticate the ministry of the apostles, the messengers at that time. They had a message to proclaim. They had something that they were saying, but in order to authenticate it, God gave them signs and wonders. We can look in uh, 1 Corinthians, uh, no, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, I don't have it written down, so I'm still looking here. Uh, Okay, I'm not finding the passage. Oh, I'm looking in the wrong chapter. That's why. Chapter 12. Okay, chapter 12 and verse 12 is the verse I was looking for. Paul's talking to the Corinthian church. The Corinthians have all kinds of excuses for why they're carnal and why they're the mess that they're in. Isn't that what we always do? We make excuses for all of their, our shortcomings, our failures, right? So 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12, they're making excuses. 
And Paul tells them, truly the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience, in signs and in wonders and in mighty deeds. You say, well, why are you bringing that out? Who is it that's working the signs and the wonders and the miracles in Acts chapter number 5? Anyone? Who's working the signs and the wonders and the miracles? It's the apostles, right? Paul specifically says that the signs and the wonders were a marker of the apostles, and it was to confirm, it was to authenticate the message that they were bringing. And it was until the message was authenticated by God, right? And we have it authenticated. And so as far as the signs and the wonders and miracles, they ceased whenever this was completed. Am I saying that God doesn't still work signs and wonders and miracles? Of course he works miracles. I've seen them in my own life. But is it because someone has come and they've laid their hands on me or they have proclaimed the word over me or something like that and said that they were the ones that did it? God works through prayer and through faith rather than through his apostles because we have record of his apostles' word that he delivered to them, had them to record for us today, and his word is sufficient for us today. Okay, And so whenever we look at this, the, the idea of these uh, mighty works that's being done, it is for this fledgling church, it is for this very early church that has very little scripture, right? They didn't really have any scripture. The apostles are giving it to them at that time. They are growing. They are being uh, confronted by all kinds of difficulties and uh, conflicts that's coming up. Satan is releasing the, the full barrage of hell against it to try to kill the church before it gets started, right? And so God is giving everything to that group to get it rooted and to get it grounded and to get it confirmed so that it can continue, so that it can grow, and so that we today can hear his word and that we can believe and that we can be saved, right? And so whenever we get tied up in these peripherals and we get tied up in these things of expecting uh, God to work in, in and through us the way that he did our, the apostles at the beginning, whenever we try to start bringing these things into today and we get focused on this instead of on what the the purpose and the priority of God actually was what was what was it that God was wanting to see happen he was wanting to see the gospel go out to the ends of the earth that was his priority that's what he was he came so that we could have eternal life that was what he was focused on from the beginning so what was the the signs and the wonders it was to confirm the messengers and confirm the message and he was working these things so that the gospel would go out, so the church would be founded and grounded and strong, so that it would continue as he built it into future generations until the time that he returns and he puts all things right. And so we're benefiting from this today. And so whenever we get this backward and we think that all of these uh, all of these things that he was doing back then is the purpose of the church and the focus of the church and the things that we're going to get tied up on. We get our focus off of the gospel. How many of these uh, uh, healing campaigns and these miracle and sign campaigns ever preach the gospel? Ever seek to get somebody saved? Who do they glorify? Who do they lift up? 
themselves, their work, their power. Look at us. We are men of God. Look at the things that we're able to do. And they are lifting up self. They are promoting self. And they are not preaching the gospel. They are not promoting God. The Bible tells us, I don't have the passage written down right now, but the Bible tells us that in the last days that there are going to be signs and wonders and miracles that are going to be wrought, but it is not going to be of God. And so we've got to be careful whenever those things get our focus and our attention. And so all of this that we see, the signs and the wonders, and also the judgment that is unleashed at this time with Ananias and Sapphira, is to show us the importance of staying on task, right? To show us God's priority on the, the purity of the church and on it getting the gospel out and it continuing. Don't get sidetracked by either uh, these, uh, these endeavors of hoping that, you know, you can work signs and wonders and miracles. Don't get tied up in that kind of thing. Don't get tied up in this world and thinking that you can enrich yourselves by the by taking advantage and using God's things for your... Because don't these two things go hand in hand? Is not many of the ones that are, are trying to take advantage of the things that we see going on in verses 12 through 16, trying to promote themselves as some some spiritual guru or someone bringing about such great power, bringing attention. Are they not doing the same thing that Ananias and Sapphira did? Can you see a, can you see a relationship, a parallel between that? They're taking the things of God to glorify themselves. They're using the things of God or supposedly the things of God to benefit themselves. And so the, the, the main thing that I want us to learn here is that God is the main thing. He wants us to be filled with his spirit. Sin and selfishness and pride is going to hinder any kind of work that God does. And if we want to see him working through us, he's going to be working to get his gospel out. He's going to be working to see people say that's the desire. That's what he wants to do. We start talking about the power of God on our lives. It is the power to be a witness, okay? And if we want that power to be a witness and to be uh, a, a shining light, if you will, for the things of God, then it's going to take purity. It's going to take holiness to experience the power. And the power is there for the purpose of getting the gospel out. Okay? So, anything else? Okay, well, if there's nothing else, we'll go ahead and we'll, we'll go to the Lord in prayer. We'll have a short break. Dear Lord, we come to you today. Thank you for your blessings. We thank you for this, this time that we have in your word, Lord. And I know we're making slow progress as we go through, but I pray that these things will sink into our heart. They will focus us on you. Help us to prioritize in our lives the things that you have prioritized. Lord, help us to see uh, the, the right uh, priority for our lives. We want to see you lifted up. We want to see you glorified. We want to see your gospel going out. And in order to do that, Lord, we've got to keep our lives uh, unspotted from this world. We've got to keep it pure and holy, Lord. And help us, Lord, to be uh, going about and doing that, prioritizing those things in our lives. Lord, do be with our time, our fellowship, one with another today. I pray your blessings on the services, Lord. And all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen.